Thursday, February 21st, 2019. You are listening to the Daily Dose Sports Podcast, and I am your host, Clint Daly, coming to you from the Mile High City right here in Denver, Colorado. You know, if you are tired of the same old sports talk, if you are sick of your local sports talk radio, if you are tired of the national sports media shows giving you things you really don't care about, hang out here a little while. You're going to like it a little bit better. We talk sports with a dose of common sense. And we'd rather just laugh at a lot of the sports world whenever it is possible. We are happy to have you here with us today. Happy Thursday to you. You know, it was on this day that Hall of Fame basketball coach Jack Ramsey was born back in 1925. Now, Jack Ramsey was best known for coaching that Portland Trailblazers team to the 1977 NBA title. Of course, he went on to do broadcasting work with the Indiana Pacers, with the Miami Heat. He was on ESPN for quite a while. Ramsey was one of the most respected coaches in NBA history and is a member of the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. You know, if you go back and you watch some of the clips of that 77 Portland Trailblazers team that won the title, it is free-flowing, it is fast-paced, it is as pretty as basketball can be, where you had five different people moving as one. Those Portland teams were absolutely amazing. And Ramsey was one of the great minds in all of basketball. Of course, he passed away back in 2014, but he did write a number of coaching books. And so much of what Jack Ramsey taught, I'm telling you, it should be being followed today. If you somehow get stuck, maybe coaching a youth team at some point, or you're just really interested in the game of basketball itself, go find books by Jack Ramsey. I am telling you, they will be well worth your time. He taught basketball the way it should be taught. Hey, if you'd like to contact the show, maybe let us know your favorite coach of all time. We would love to hear from you. You can email us, dailydosports at gmail.com, or feel free to reach out to us over on Twitter or Facebook. Both of those handles are at Daily Dose Sports. You might have a suggestion. You might have a comment. You might just have a quick question for us, and we do get a number of those. Feel free to reach out. We would love to hear from you. We'll always take the time to give you an answer. We might just end up using it on the show. Also, be sure to stop by tpublic.com and pick up some of the Daily Dose gear that we have available over there. I know it's called tpublic.com, but it's not just t-shirts. They've got sweatshirts. They've got hoodies. They've got coffee mugs, a number of Daily Dose items over there. And maybe you've already picked one up for yourself. Maybe you need to go over and pick one up to convey to someone else that you truly care about them. Make sure you stop by tpublic.com and get that Daily Dose gear. We've got a lot to get to today. You know, as usual, we do have a few stories coming out in the world of sports news. But then, as we do on many Thursdays, we have got to get to some sports media overreactions of the week. And you are going to have to trust me on this. We have had a number of overreactions this past week. Got a lot of things to get to today. Hey, let's get started off in college hoops. You know, the highly anticipated college basketball game between the number 8 North Carolina Tar Heels and the top-ranked Number one, Duke Blue Devils took place last night in Durham, North Carolina. Now, how highly anticipated was this game? Tickets to get into Cameron Indoor Stadium were starting at $2,500. That's insane. One ticket to this week's UNC Duke game sold for over $10,000 per vivid seats. Now, just as a frame of reference, there were tickets last year to the national title game between Villanova and Michigan that were being sold for 67 bucks per vivid seats. The average price to attend a North Carolina home game is just $70. 
but the average price for the March 9th rematch that we're going to have between Carolina and Duke, those tickets are already going for nearly $1,000 each. So everyone was looking forward to this game. But last night, all of those that paid that big money for those tickets to see Duke and their stud freshman, especially their stud freshman Zion Williamson, they got to watch him for all of about 30 seconds as he slipped, kind of did the splits, tore through his shoe and went down with, who knows, a leg injury of some kind. He never did return. And you hate to see that. But it was still a highly entertaining well, first half, even though it wasn't a particularly well-played first half. Hey, the crowd was intense. Cameron Indoor Stadium was jumping, but we saw a ton of missed shots. We saw way too many turnovers in a game last night featuring number one versus number eight. And then in the second half, you just saw a tougher North Carolina team do what Louisville couldn't do last week. They finished off the Blue Devils, when they had the chance. They had them down, and they took them out like they should have. And you know, we did last night see the bad side of Duke in that game. They cannot consistently shoot from outside. They need another consistent score, and they turn the ball over just way too much. On the night, Duke shoots 8 of 39 from three-point range. 8 of 39? Really? And they turned it over 20 times. They also allow the North Carolina Tar Heels to dominate them in the paint. Carolina big man Luke May, who is not that overly skilled. He's just a hardworking kid. He scores 30 points, and most all of them were down in the low post. Now, if Zion Williamson is playing, the points in the paint are completely different, I believe. Carolina scored 62 points in the paint against Duke last night. But some things don't change even if Zion is playing. And I know that the narrative today is going to be, well, Duke lost, but they lost Zion Williamson. And yes, I'll hear some of that. But it doesn't change the fact that you still can't shoot it. It doesn't change the fact that you don't always take care of the basketball. And it also doesn't change the fact that we have seen Duke fall behind by big margins at times this year. Meanwhile, if you look at Carolina, I don't know that they played their A game. They certainly didn't shoot the ball any better from outside. They go two for 20 from three-point range, but they still managed to shoot 51% from the field overall because they got transition points and because they scored baskets inside. They did play very unselfish basketball. North Carolina beats Duke 88-72. to Hey, hopefully... Zion Williamson is going to be okay. Hopefully this isn't going to be an injury that keeps him on the shelf for very long because with him in there, this team is really fun to watch and they bring a ton of excitement to college basketball. So hopefully he's not out for very long. But you know, we are already going to be seeing a rematch of this game in just a little over two weeks in Chapel Hill. Maybe we get Williamson back. Maybe we get a very, very good rematch coming up which gets us ready for March Madness, which, by the way, is just around the corner. Moving over to the NFL, it sounds like the Oakland Raiders are reportedly close to a deal to play at least one more season at the Oakland Alameda County Coliseum in Oakland, California. According to sfgate.com, 
A source said the deal, which is expected to be announced later this week or early next week, is for one year with an option also out there for 2020. The option would just be insurance in case the Raiders Las Vegas Stadium would not be completed in time for that season. The source also said that all of the major issues between the Raiders and Oakland Alameda County Coliseum officials have been resolved. As part of the agreement, the Raiders reportedly will pay $7.5 million for this next year and then $10.5 million if they would have to stay there for any other games in 2020. And hey, I'll be the first to admit, I'm glad that the Raiders are going to play those last games in Oakland, that they're not going to go somewhere else, that they're just going to stick in the stadium and with the fans that have been Raider fans for years. I think that's a good thing. I think that's a positive thing for the franchise. I think it's a positive thing for their fans as well. And I definitely think it's a positive thing for that city that is going to lose their franchise. I think that's a really good thing. Plus, I mean, I just like the idea that they're staying there because it all makes sense. Like Oakland is where the Raiders should be. And sometimes things get a little bit out of whack. Sometimes things get a little bit weird. Like, think about this. Remember when the Cleveland Cavaliers were actually winning games? Like, that was weird. I'm glad things are back to normal. And remember when the Oakland Raiders were going to maybe move to a different stadium this year? And we're maybe going to have a little nicer stadium and a little bit newer things? Come on. We know what the Raiders are. They can't have nice things. So I'm just glad we're getting things back to normal. Hey, coming back, we have had a very interesting week in the world of sports. And as a result, the sports media world is telling us a number of things They might not make the most sense. We are going to discuss a few of those when we get back. You know, like we do on a lot of Thursdays, right now we are going to take a little bit of a closer look at some of the sports media overreactions of the week. And hey, I get it. I understand it. I worked in that world for quite a while. And there are times you're trying to get people to click on your article or to tune in at a certain time. And so you say things that maybe you don't necessarily believe, but you just kind of put them out there and you just kind of hope, well, maybe people will tune in. Maybe we'll get more clicks. Maybe I'll get more reads. Maybe we'll get a bigger audience. Maybe people will listen. I'll give you an example. One time I am asked by a certain publication for me to write an article on the 10 greatest Denver Broncos quarterbacks of all time. So I write an article, put it all together, Here's the article. I turned into my editor. When he posts the article online, whose picture do you think he puts with the article? Of course, he puts a picture of Tim Tebow on the front of the article. Now, Tim Tebow is not even mentioned in the article. It didn't matter. He was trying to generate clicks. So I understand it, but there are times that we need to take a look at some of the things the sports media world is telling us and just kind of see, okay, does this make any sense whatsoever? And I'll give you a quick spoiler alert. It's not often that it does, but on Thursdays, we like to take a little bit closer look and see if some of the things they're telling us make any sense. Let's get started off in the NBA, where right now we are getting two very, very different opinions from the sports media world. Either the Los Angeles Lakers are about to collapse, miss the playoffs completely, and melt down, and LeBron James is on his last legs, or you have another group of media people saying not only are the Los Angeles Lakers going to rebound and make the NBA playoffs? 
But when they do, hey, they could be a pain for whoever they face in the first round. And the Golden State Warriors, you better be very, very careful because you could be facing LeBron James as early as the first round of the playoffs. Do you really want that? I'm not even kidding. These are two opinions that are being thrown around right now. You can go find them. Hey, I said last week, I do actually expect the Lakers to rally and make the playoffs. They've had a bunch of injuries. LeBron missed a bunch of time. Prior to LeBron James getting hurt, they were sitting 6th, 7th, 8th seed. And I think they can get back there. They're going to have to do some work to get back there, but I think they can get back there. Although I will say this. I was watching some of the NBA All-Star festivities and just some of the things going on back there. Doesn't it kind of look like LeBron is carrying a few extra LBs right now? Like, that might not be a great sign. That he was out with that groin injury and apparently he was just sitting on the couch and eating Funyuns or something because he looks like he's packed on a few extra pounds. But again, I think that the Lakers can rally for a playoff spot because we've seen this in the past with LeBron James' teams. A lot of times, his teams kind of struggle. Remember, in the last two, three, four years, we've seen the Cleveland Cavaliers struggle. We're looking at them at the All-Star break. Oh, man, I don't even know if they're going to make the playoffs. Then they rally and they get all the way up to the second or third seed. The problem for the Lakers this year, this is the NBA Western Conference. This is not the East. You're not going to rally and make it to the number two seed over in the West. Things are going to be different. And some of the teams you're going to be facing, think about it, Sacramento's and San Antonio's and some of those teams that you're going, hey, that's a tough team. You weren't having to face that in Cleveland. So I'm not saying that the Lakers are going to rally and get like the four seed. I don't think that's going to happen, but I think they can still make the playoffs. And hey, if this group makes it as a five or a six seed, that would be a pretty big accomplishment. But the concerns that I've had for the Los Angeles Lakers have not changed from what I was saying back in, what, July? They allow over 113 points per game. That's not good when you're going to be facing Western Conference teams that are trying to make the postseason and have some pretty darn good offenses. And this team still cannot shoot a lick. The Lakers shoot less than 34% from three-point range. And here is something kind of astounding. Their best three-point shooter is Rajon Rondo. Yikes. Wow, who saw that coming? But when we start hearing sports media members saying, hey, the Lakers are going to make the playoffs, and when they do make the playoffs, the Warriors should be nervous. I mean, honestly, let's think about this for a second. Hey, I think the Lakers are capable of making the playoffs, but are the Warriors going to be concerned about them? Uh, let's see. You don't play defense and you can't shoot it. Yeah, I don't really see Golden State losing a lot of sleep over that combination. In fact, I would imagine that the Warriors are hoping the Lakers get the number eight seed. I think that would give them some energy for an early series that they could be a little bit lackadaisical in otherwise. Getting to take LeBron James out again on a team that can't play defense on a team that struggles in the post, and a team that doesn't force them to defend the three-point line? Uh, yes, please. I think Golden State would sign up for that in a heartbeat. And you see what I'm saying? This is the kind of silliness we get from the sports media world. The Lakers are going to just tank. The Lakers are an NBA championship contender. Just slow down. As usual, it's probably somewhere in the middle. Another very popular opinion being thrown around NBA circles right now is that while most of the attention being shown for the league's MVP award is focused on Houston Rockets guard James Harden and his insane 
37 points per game? Well, you guys should actually be looking a little closer because the sports media world is telling us there is another contender out there that we are all overlooking. And that is Oklahoma City forward, Paul George, who is, I'll admit, he is playing at a very high level this season. No denying that. Through the first half of the season, Paul George is averaging 29 points, eight rebounds, and four assists per game. Hey, that's a pretty good stat line in any season. I have no disagreement there whatsoever. But again, the sports media world believes in silly sound bites. So we're getting things like this. Hey, forget James Harden. Look at what Paul George is doing. Well, now hold on a second. Harden has been pretty impressive too, hasn't he? Oh, but there is one other factor that I feel the sports media is not including in this discussion. Paul George actually gets to play with another all-star every single night in Russell Westbrook. An all-star, I might add, that does put some serious pressure on the defense himself. You can't double Paul George. If you do, Russell Westbrook will torch you. Meanwhile, James Harden is playing at times without both Clint Capella and Chris Paul for a good portion of this season. So you're the only guy on the team and you're still putting up these numbers? Hey, if Russell Westbrook would have gone down and Paul George was doing this, yeah, Paul George is the guy. But right now, you've got another all-star on your starting five. I don't know that I'm just going to swing my vote over to Paul George. He's playing great. I'll give him that. But right now, I can make a better case for James Harden. I can even make a better case for Milwaukee Bucks big man Giannis Antetokounmpo getting votes because, again, he doesn't have a ton of help. If you take James Harden off the Rockets, what are they? If you take the Greek freak off of the Bucks, what are they? If you take Paul George off of Oklahoma City, we've already seen that. They're still a playoff team. I think the drop-off for the other two would be so much more significant. And again, I don't think James Harden can keep this up. And if he does, I don't think they're going to go very far. And come postseason, opposing teams are going to make James Harden work even harder than what he's working right now. So I don't know that any of this can last, but James Harden and Giannis definitely look more like MVP candidates right now to me than Paul George does. Impressive stuff, good stuff. I'm not taking anything away from Paul George. He's just not having to do what those other two are doing. And as a result, no, I don't think we should just shift our attention over to him immediately. He's playing very well. I'll give him that. One last thing coming out this week in the NBA. We are hearing that the NBA dunk contest last weekend was one of the worst of all time and should actually be bumped up in the rotation, making the three-point contest the primetime event instead of the dunk contest. Of course, Oklahoma City Thunder guard Hamadou Diallo won the event by dunking over Shaquille O'Neal. And then, of course, he hung by his elbow a la Vince Carter. Now, was this the worst dunk contest ever? Uh, maybe. It's in the conversation. Is Diallo the worst player to ever win it? Yeah, that's possible too. Should this event be moved up? And should they make the three-point contest the actual primetime event? I mean, I'm okay with that. Hey, until the league is ready to get rid of all the silly props we keep getting in the dunk contest, and until the NBA actually goes out and gets some recognizable names in the dunk contest, honestly, they can get rid of it completely as far as I'm concerned. I'm not really that concerned with the dunk contest at all. Was it good this year? No. But you know what? It probably hasn't been good since Vince Carter was in it back in 2000. So nothing changed. We've seen about 17 years of bad dunk contests. You want to change it? You want to move it around? 
feel free. But you know what you really ought to do? You ought to go put up a big purse and see if you can get some people to compete. Now, there are rumors out there that maybe next year they could go get some big names. I'll believe it when I see it, but until they do, there's just no reason to watch it. Hey, I didn't watch one single second of the dunk contest this year. From what I've heard, the judges were terrible. It made no sense. A lot of the dunks weren't that great, and they keep having to bring in props. Okay, so I'm going to drive a remote control car, and then I'm going to jump off a trampoline. I don't need that. Here's the crazy thing. The college dunk contests are better than the NBA dunk contest. Why is that? Creativity, and they actually care about being there. The NBA dunk contest, it's not very good, but it hasn't been very good for a while. So let's switch over to the NFL. And one of the things we are hearing in the media world, and I've heard this locally being here in Denver, but this is also starting to come out on some of the major sports networks. And that is this. The trade that the Denver Broncos made for quarterback Joe Flacco was a way better move than anyone thinks. The Broncos play good defense. They always run the football well. So Joe Flacco can actually come into Denver and just be a game manager. He doesn't have to go out and try to win games. He doesn't have to go out there and put the whole offense on his back like at times they say he did in Baltimore. He can come here, hand off the ball, let his defense do their job. He's got a couple of receivers here in Denver. Joe Flacco is going to be way better in Denver than anyone thinks. I know there was a big uproar when they signed Joe Flacco. Hey, he's going to be better than anyone thinks. Of course we're hearing this locally because the local radio shows here want to try to hype that up. But I'm starting to hear this at the national level too. They're starting to say, hey, don't ask Joe Flacco to be something he's not. Just let him be a game manager. And as a result, John Elway may have found his second good quarterback behind Peyton Manning. This move isn't as bad as everyone's saying it is. Well, hey, I guess we'll see how this all works out. But I do see a couple of problems with the logic involved in this thinking. First, the Broncos should absolutely be better defensively with new head coach Vic Fangio. We know what he did with that Chicago Bears defense. He had them playing at a great level. He does have some talent on the defensive side of the ball here in Denver. So I would think the Denver defense gets better. But I know the mentality out there is that, hey, Denver's got a great defense. They just need a quarterback. This Denver defense has been pretty mediocre lately. So I know everyone says, well, hey, they play great defense. No, they don't. Actually, they haven't for a while now. They ranked 22nd this past year in yardage allowed. They ranked 13th in points allowed per game. So are they great? No, they're kind of middle of the pack. They're okay. Second. The Broncos ran the football well this past year with rookie Philip Lindsay going over a thousand yards. So they were ranked 12th in rushing yards this past year as a team. But here's the problem. I look at that as kind of an aberration because going back to 2015, when Denver won the Super Bowl, the Broncos average just 105 yards per game. That ranks them 19th out of 32 teams. I know that a lot of people, especially nationally, Think of, hey, Denver Broncos, they just run the football. You just plug in a new running back, they get a 1,000 yards every single year. Yeah, that was under Mike Shanahan. That doesn't happen anymore. We haven't seen that here for a while. Lindsey was great. C.J. Anderson, when he was here, had some spots here or there. But this is not the same Mike Shanahan team that you just plug in a new running back and get a 1,000 yards every year. That's not how this team rolls. They've actually struggled at times to run the football. But here is the biggest problem with the entire Joe Flacco situation. 
Let's just say that they do get this right. Let's just say the Broncos are going to play much better defense. Let's say they are going to run the football. And let's say they ask nothing more from Joe Flacco than to just be a game manager. Hey, just don't lose the thing for us. Come up with a play here or there, but hand off. Let your defense play defense the way they can. And at this stage of your career, this is going to be exactly the right fit. Okay, that sounds good. But you're still paying $20 million for a game manager quarterback. Hey, if I'm just going to have a game manager and we're going to run the ball really effectively and we're going to play great defense, then why did you get rid of Trevor Simeon? He was costing you 300 k a year. Now you're paying $20 million for a game manager? Again, forget football. That's just horrible, horrible business. And no matter how you spin this Joe Flacco situation, it doesn't make any business sense whatsoever. Hey, coming back, we do have one more sports media overreaction that we need to get to. You know, we had some big news last Friday when the NFL chose to settle their dispute with disgruntled quarterback Colin Kaepernick. Now that the collusion suit is over, are we going to see Colin Kaepernick get a chance in the NFL this year? And by the way, why was that case even settled? We've got some very interesting things still coming for you today on The Dose. So let's finish up with our sports media overreactions of the week, and I've got a big one here for you. We have heard in the last few days, now that the NFL has settled with quarterback Colin Kaepernick, he could be signed to a team. That lawsuit is gone. Someone will probably bring him in. And they are even saying he could be signed by the New England Patriots to eventually take over for Tom Brady. Maybe Seattle would go get him to be a backup for Russell Wilson. Hey, we've seen. There's some bad quarterbacks in this league. Colin Kaepernick, now that the suit is over, could get a shot. Okay, let's go ahead and get this out on the table. No one is signing Colin Kaepernick. Did you hear me? No one is going to sign Colin Kaepernick. That's the reason they paid him. You're telling me they're going to go sign the guy that was suing them when they settled out of court? I've got news for you. No one's going to sign him. Why would you bother? If he hadn't been blackballed, oh, I promise you, he is now. There's no way anyone is going to sign him now. But, you know, this has been a really weird case. And honestly, I can't figure it out. But I want you to think about a few things. Let's think about this for a second. The NFL will hire woman beaters. They will hire drunk drivers every day. Why was Kaepernick targeted? And more importantly, why would he settle? And why would the NFL agree to settle? Hey, when I heard that Colin Kaepernick had settled, I was like, why would he settle? I don't care the money amount. They're saying he could have got anywhere from 50 to $80 million. But if this is about principle, why would you settle at all? I wouldn't settle one bit. Forget the money. We're going to go as far as we can because the point of this lawsuit is not money. I am going to depose guys like Roger Goodell. I am going to depose guys like Jerry Jones. I am going to depose maybe even people from the Seattle organization who brought them in and didn't sign him, I am going to get my message out. The NFL mistreated me because of my political stance, and that is the only reason I haven't signed. Why would you settle if that's the case? We are going to show that the NFL clearly blackballed Colin Kaepernick for his political stance, which they deemed to be bad for business. So why would Colin Kaepernick settle? Now, like I said, the rumor floating around is that the NFL and Kaepernick decided to settle 
for an amount around 50 to $80 million. And hey, that sounds big. Like that's big money, right? Let's be real clear about one thing. That's a drop in the bucket for the NFL. But wait a second. I am actually hearing a very, very different story that at least does make some sense. See, here's what I'm hearing. Why settle? Well, it sounds like Colin Kaepernick may have settled because he found out he had zero chance of winning the case. See, everyone can say there was collusion, but how can you prove there was collusion? While we all can look at the situation and say, hey, the owners decided Kaepernick's eroding skills are not worth the political strife it's going to cause by bringing him into camp somewhere. Again, how do you prove it? I mean, did Jerry Jones write, don't hire Colin Kaepernick on a cocktail napkin somewhere? Because all you basically have is deductive hearsay. Well, based on who they're hiring, we think Colin Kaepernick might have been better than that guy. So as a result, they must have blackballed him. Well, that's not evidence. I mean, saying, hey, a guy like Blaine Gabbert had a job, you know, Blaine Gabbert, the guy that beat out Colin Kaepernick, that doesn't necessarily prove anything. So hear me out for just one second. What if Colin Kaepernick settled because he knew he couldn't win the case? Oh, and what if the settlement wasn't nearly as big as they are saying? What if the settlement was only maybe $5 million and a donation to his favorite charity? Because that's exactly what I'm hearing. But wait, if that's the case and Kaepernick could not have won, Kaepernick did not have the evidence, then why would the NFL settle? That doesn't make any sense either. Take it as far as you want. Depose as many people as you want. You still don't have the evidence. We're still going to win. And yet, depositions and having to testify is going to be publicity for this league that the NFL doesn't want. But wait, there's more to this story. What if there is one more reason that the league wanted to settle other than just avoiding a pain-in-the-butt trial? Well, here's something else I'm hearing. Colin Kaepernick has himself a $1 million book deal, and he's planning to publish his side of the story. That is currently in the works. And do you know what this recent settlement is going to keep him from speaking about in that $1 million book? Yes, this entire process of suing the NFL and how they blackballed him from the league. Because now that he's settled, he's not allowed to speak about it. He's not even allowed to say how much money he was given. Of course, his lawyer is going to come out and say, hey, we got a ton of money. We got maybe $80 million. I don't know. We got a ton of money. They're going to come out and act like they won. But from what I'm hearing, that's not how that went at all. He settled for $5 million. He settled for a donation to his charity. Oh, and by the way, mum's the word. You do not speak of this case in your book. Hey, maybe the story that I'm getting isn't accurate. It comes from a pretty reliable source, but maybe it's not accurate. But when I hear this story, it sure seems to make more sense to me than the narrative that we have been hearing about Colin Kaepernick bringing the NFL owners to their knees and then instead of deposing any of them and making them publicly stand up and say what really happened, he just cashes in without actually making it about the principles that we heard this was about. I know the sports media world isn't telling us any of this, but doesn't that actually make a little bit more sense than what we're hearing? Hey, tomorrow on The Daily Dust, we will of course be bringing you the latest and greatest in the world of sports news, and we will be previewing the weekend in sports 
The NBA will be back up to speed. We will have a number of things for you to watch this weekend. Plus, we will have our daily Dose Top 5, so you know that you've got to stop by for that. I have to say thank you all so much for listening to the Daily Dose each and every day. Thank you for the feedback. Thank you for the questions and the suggestions. And more than anything, thank you so much for sharing the show. We could not do it without you sharing the show. It is very appreciated. I have to say thank you to JSP. Could not do any of this without you. I will see you all tomorrow. Have a great Thursday.